Good morning. My name's Phil Bronsma. I'm one of the elders here. I'm preaching this morning to give uh, Greg a few extra hours off last week to catch up on some things, to do planning. Um, from a planning standpoint, Advent is right around the corner. Uh, so it's our practice to give Greg an in-plant vacation. Um, not really. It's not vacation. Implant alternate work. In the chemical industry, people referred to having an implant vacation, which meant they went to work, uh, but then didn't do anything that day. It's an implant vacation. We're going to talk today about David's kindness. Here's the main point. David showed kindness to Saul's family when he had power, and he could have just simply killed every last one of them. And we should show similar kindness. We should donate money, time, prayer to people that need it. They don't have to be your enemies. They can be people you don't know at all. As a sidebar here, I've noticed for some time Greg and I, well actually pastors in general, prepare talks differently than people in industry. In industry, we learn very early on, you'd better have one point, and you'd better make it on the first slide. Because if you have two points, you're gonna, no one's going to remember one of them. And once you're on the first slide and things start happening, you might never get to slide two. So here's my conclusion. Like David, we should show kindness to people that are perhaps undeserving or don't have resources, because in so doing, we honor God. So, Jack, if you've got an early lunch, you're good to go. All right. Because also at work, hey, if you make your point, and in 10 minutes everyone's happy, that meeting's over. You don't drag things. You get bonus points for letting people out early. But we're going to read then from Psalm, uh, sorry, 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 10. This is where Daniel, sorry, David is now king of, of Israel, and he shows some kindness. Feel free to use your personal device. Look this up. It, all the verses are here on the screen. David asked, so he's in Jerusalem, he's in his palace, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul, or sorry, Jonathan and David were close friends. And Jonathan has now been killed, so has Saul. David's in charge. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Ziba, at your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive? from the house of Saul, to whom I can show God's kindness. Ziba answered, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king? Ziba answered, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. 
And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to, my, to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And the verse that goes really with this is from Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now here's the backstory that leads up, up to this. This was covered in a few of the sermons in the last couple of weeks, but not everything. So here he is. He was anointed as a youth by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. Saul was king right now. He felt he was taken out of favor by God for his disobedience. And Samuel anointed David, who was a sheep herder, the seventh son probably a young teen at the time, he was going to be the next king. As things evolved and developed, he was named to Saul's army as a commander. You may recall he killed Goliath, the the enemy giant, uh, two or three sermons ago. Um, He was presumably, well, he certainly was too young to be in the army at that point. He ended up getting appointed to Saul's army, had developed a great reputation as a commander. He was winning battles. But King Saul got jealous of this. It was written down that, you know, people were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was worried. Kings in those days and despots in these days worry about potential threats. They want to keep their heads, they want to keep their throne, they want to pass it on to their kids. And Saul didn't know that David had been anointed the next king, but Saul did see a potential threat to him, and he wanted to take care of that. So he tried very clearly to kill David on many occasions. But David never attacked Saul while he was alive. David had the spirit of God in him, and this was shown here. He was confident in his anointing by Samuel. He had the spirit of God in him so that he knew he was the next king. He was confident in his promise, and he did not need, he was faithful to God because he also knew that Saul was the legitimate king. He did not see it in his charter to go kill Saul 
and just take over. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit includes patience, faithfulness, and self-control. So in this section of of David's history, he's fighting all sorts of people. He's fighting the Philistines, the Moabites, but he's not fighting Saul because he was confident in his position And he respected Saul because of his position. This went on for maybe 10 years. And through this time, he was faithful and patient. It's curious. I sort of wonder, was he ever tempted to help God out a little bit? You know, maybe to arrange a little accident on the palace steps. But the answer is, he was faithful to God. He was patient. Now, after Saul died, David did become king. And he spent several years consolidating his position. Saul's not here anymore, okay? And after David asked God what he should do, um, God said, go. So he actually fought against a couple of Saul's who, who had wanted to inherit the throne, He won them over, although he mourned their death. He really didn't want a civil war. But he did bring the battle to many other countries surrounding them, and he established Israel's boundaries and really established their safety. Uh, A chapter earlier, in in chapter 8, In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines. He defeated the Moabites. He defeated the king of Zobah. He defeated the Arameans. He killed or defeated the king of Hamath. He was blessed by God in his military work. But what's really interesting here, this is a slight sidebar, all the spoils, right? Because when he beat these com- countries, he raided their treasury, took all their gold, all their silver, all their good stuff. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had subdued. And then a couple verses later, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. The point that's here is, I think, pretty cool, because when you read these ver- this first section about David coming into power, you think of, I think of him as a military guy, hiding out from Saul, guerrilla warfare, sneak into a village, a Moabite village at night, and you know, ransacking it and making his escape. And he gets into power, he takes care of Saul's family, and now he goes around to pretty much every country around them, And he beats them militarily. What's really cool is that in every step, it's very clear that he's talking to God, he's listening to God, and it doesn't go to his head. He doesn't come back and say, I won these thousands of pounds of silver and gold 
He dedicated them all to God. And he came back and he ruled in a way that was just and right. Again, he didn't come back as an arrogant despot who was on the throne and everybody better bow to him, but he was a righteous God. So now he's perhaps 30 years old. He's built a palace. Well, it was made out of cedar wood, so it's not a palace like you saw on TV last. It's not Buckingham Palace with a thousand rooms. It was likely, by our standards, a nice house. Okay? But it was the palace, probably the nicest house in town, but it's still, by our standards, a house. So he goes back to his house. He's settling in. And now David asks about Saul's descendants, the topic of, of our chapter. Is no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Sidebar here. Not my kindness. God's kindness. Again, David and God. And you read um, 2 Samuel, but David and God are tight. It's very clear that not just is the spirit of God, but it's recorded. David asked God about this, and God told David about this. And so when it says showing God's kindness, that's right in character. It's not, oh, I'm the king, I can afford to do something. It's no, I am God's representative, and this is the right thing to be done as God's representative. So Mephibosheth gets brought in. Now, remember what I said about kings not wanting potential competition? Guarantee you. We can ask David when we get to heaven for sure. Guarantee you, Mephibosheth thought that he was going to be killed outright. The grandson of the king, there's going to be some legacy people who think, well, Meph here, he's the legitimate king. Not this, David's a nice guy. Mephibosheth has the right to the throne. And it's very common then, and if you look at some of these countries around the world that have shaky governments, the way someone stays, the way someone is a president for life is to make sure there's no vice president that's a threat. Still happens today. Certainly happened in that time. Mephibosheth thought that he was going to be killed to prevent a future revolt. David says, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Meph responds, responds, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth knows he is alive only because David says so. David had any number of, of soldiers and commanders who would say, let me take care of this annoyance for you. And they would. And that, if you read 2 Samuel, this happened more than once, even without David's permission. But this gift to Mephibosheth was free. No pledge of obedience. No deposit of funds against future good behavior. It's free. David says, I loved your, your, your father, 
You are not a threat to me. Come live at my palace because I love your father. Galatians 5, verse 22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit includes kindness and faithfulness. David showed kindness when he had absolutely no obligation to do so and every expectation to not do so. And he did anyway because he was faithful to God. He was so confident. Next slide. I'm moving ahead. David's con- he was so confident in God's plan to him, which, which we talked about last week. He was so confident in God's promise to him, a spiritual promise and a, a physical promise. He wasn't worried. Mephibosheth, grandson, potential threat to the throne, he did Not a problem. And if you read later on, you know, I, I, won't, I won't digress. <laughs> and this was a big difference from the norms of kings and leaders of those times because most kings and leaders were in charge, typically militarily, and you kept your competition under control, either exiled or in a dungeon or dead. And that's not what God wanted David to do. So even though we saw him as a military genius in these early days, when he's governing the people of Israel, he was a just king. That the, the, These attributes, the fruits of the Spirit, in this section and in others, where he shows God's love, God's kindness, in every possible way. And so I'm curious, what do you think the rest of the people of Israel thought? I think, like, he's crazy. His military advisors really thought he's crazy. Because the military advisors, the rest of his generals and so on and so forth, they said the only reason that you'd call in your rival's grandson is to put him in the dungeon. So it's a big surprise. And the second response might be, wow. Because he's changing the norm. He's saying, this is how a godly person operates. He's showing the fruit of the Spirit. The aspects. And almost certainly, well, of course. Because he has very clearly the Spirit of God in him. You can't, he cannot do this by himself if he were merely a secular king. If you look at King Saul, if you read these previous chapters in 2 Samuel, after he had major disobedience with God, the Spirit of God left him. And at that point, you see Saul's behavior go downhill really fast, where that kind of anger and evil spirit where he, um, earlier on, he tried to kill David in the same room. David's sitting there playing his harp. He was bivocational. Playing his harp, maybe tri-vocational, shepherd, harp player, and soldier. 
He's playing the harp to calm down Saul. Saul grabs a spear and throws it at him to kill him. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. So Saul was no longer engaged with the Spirit of God. He was on his own, and it shows. David is fully engaged with the Spirit of God, and it shows. So, what do we do? Back to the second, or the first slide. Here's the conclusion. We also have the Spirit of God. If we're believers, we have the Spirit of God. By rule, we have the Spirit of God. It's very clear in the Bible, in the New Testament, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God is in you. Period. If so, we have confidence. God doesn't make mistakes. We can be confident in that position to the extent that we can take, I'll call it risks, we can do things that people without that confidence might say, oh, really? You give money to the church? You give money to Christian organizations? You give, like, a lot of money to these places? So here's, when we have this position, we have the Spirit of God in us, when we are absolutely confident in this, it makes making decisions here on earth a bit easier. Because now we can take these steps and show kindness to people that need it without worrying about what that effect might be on me, because I'm pretty solid with God. I'm real solid with God. And I don't need to worry what other people think because I got God's promise. I don't worry about what my neighbors think when I'm going to church every Sunday morning, when I'm picking up trash, when I'm doing things that secular people wouldn't do. So what we need to do, what I need to do, and what you need to do is to say, I'll put it this way. Do one thing this week. One thing more than usual. Support, help our military endure. Give to local food pantries. There's a lot of people within 10 miles of here that do not have food security. There's food pantries. I encourage you to donate to them. Write them a check. Drop a bill in an envelope, it's going to cost you 52 cents, I think, whatever stamp costs. Forever stamps, they don't tell you what they are anymore. And Carol buys them, not me. So they're sort of, to me, they're free. Our church works with St. Bernadette's for local benevolence. So if people have needs with rent or repairs, we work with St. Bernadette's, checks out people's stories so they don't, we don't, get, they don't get scammed. We support St. Bernadette's financially so that when someone comes here looking for help, we can send them to St. Bernadette's. We support them financially, and we can work together to be a better steward of our money in our neighborhood. I encourage you to give to Hope's Benevolence, or you write us a check and send it to St. Bernadette's. Resonate Global Ministries is a group that we frequently see here. Uh, doing, they do hurricane relief. 
you sometimes you see them here in the, in the, the um, first quarter of the year because they're all northerners who don't want to spend more time in, in the snow. They come down here for free. Typically 20, 30, 40 people spend two, three, four weeks rebuilding homes for free. We support them financially. Carol and I support them directly because that is a way that I can show kindness to people that need it. I encourage you, do something. So, in conclusion, Galatians 5, verse 22. I'm going to focus on these three. The fruit of the Spirit includes patience, kindness, and goodness. What David did was very public. He didn't take glory for it, but it was public. When we do these three things, those tend to be public actions where people see what we're doing, and that's a good thing. Pick one thing I ask of you this week. Just one thing. Next, that over whatever you're doing now, pick one more thing. Please pray with me. God, you have put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. When we accept your salvation, we know, because you say so, that that Holy Spirit is in us, guiding us, giving us nudges and hints, putting people and situations in our way so that we can see and we can hear what you want us to do. Because the Spirit is in us, we, have a, we should have a, be compelled to show the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to be open to that and willing. Oh, there's a lot of social pressures on us all over the place, God. Help us to listen to you first. Help us to obey you. Help us, God, especially when we're out and about, to show patience, to show kindness, and to show goodness, so that in this way, your name is glorified. In Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we bring these things.